We want to thank you for being a part of our new series, Together. Throughout this series, we're going to take a look at the incredible bond, love, and devotion we can experience in our marriages and home, understanding the bliss God wants us to live in. So sit back and listen, and allow God's Word to change your life. Hi, everyone. Hi. Hi. Um, I'm going to start off saying, echoing exactly what he just like said right out my nose, and didn't even know I had it there. Um, but I think a lot of times when you say single, you know, it has this stigma of like, um, single, I don't have anybody, or by myself. You know, but singleness is not something at all to be sad about or to be down about. Singleness is God's preparation time for you. It's 100% God. If you're not with somebody right now, if you haven't found your spouse that you know that God has for you, it's because you're not ready for that right now. It's because God's working on you. It's because God's doing work on you. God might be doing work on your spouse. It's something to be excited about because, you know, like right now God's working on me. God's working on my spouse. And when we're ready... God's going to put us together. God's going to bring us together, and we're going to be, you know, a dynamic couple. In the waiting time, maybe not always the easiest thing. Um, in Genesis chapter 2, in verse 18 through 23, I'm talking about Adam here. Then the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord... Out of the ground, the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was his name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused him to fall into a deep sleep, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken, he made a woman, and he brought him to her. And Adam said, This is now bone in my bone, flesh in my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken out of man. See, at the beginning of that verse, it's talking about what Adam was doing. Adam was alone. He didn't have anyone. God said, there, He needs a helpmate. He needs a help, helper to come with him. But in that between time, before his helpmate come, you know what he was doing? He was checking off God's do list. God gave him, he said, this is, he was working on what God had him doing. He wasn't sitting there searching or Googling or trying to chat up somebody, you know. He was focused on what God had. He was focused on, God said, you know, you need to name name these animals and stuff. Adam was just running it with those animals like a zoo, you know. He was just like, this is what God gave me. This is where my focus is. Because he wasn't like, so I'm sure maybe he was like, oh, this might be lonely if he even knew what lonely meant. But I'm sure he might have had those feelings, but his number one priority was God. And when you're single, you know, it's preparation for marriage. Our marriage is just an image of our relationship with Christ. And whenever you're single, he is our number one focus. You're married to him. Your heart's for him. When you come home at night, you're talking to him. You're serving him. Everything is about him. And we can't be faithful to a perfect God, a flawless God, a perfect love. How can we ever expect to be faithful to someone who is flawed? You know, our focus has to 100% just be on Jesus and be on serving him. And you know what happens? God will bring that person that you need. I'll share with you a little bit about my story. Um, When we first started this church, I was actually dating someone and um, really youth pastors. And it was a really rough situation. Nobody really knew about But it was a very abusive relationship that we were in for about almost four years. And whenever we broke up, it was it was crazy. I mean, I was everything that you could think someone who's been abused and not ever said anything about it would be just broken, completely not trusting, completely just, I'm, I'm just done with this, you know. And God had a lot of work to do in my heart, a lot of work to do with me. And a few years later, Trey came, and when I first met Trey, I was just like, this dude is way too nice, uh, something's wrong with him, you know, nobody opens the door for you, this is a little bit crazy, I don't want nothing to do, because my heart wasn't prepared, and God had so much work that he had yet to still do on me. And you know, I think a lot of us in here, maybe we've been through situations where we've been hurt, maybe we've been through, you know, it might not even be in a relationship, it could have been as children, you know, it could have been abuse there, it could have been anything. You know, and God created us in Genesis 1, he said he created man and female. He created us perfectly. He created with his plan and with a vision. He created us with a purpose in mind. And a lot of things happen to us to maybe destroy and take away from that purpose and it'll maybe, you know, change our vision of what what should be. 
But you know what? God has to, you have to let God restore you. You have to let God heal you. Because it's just like a rose. You know, when we're first born, we're this perfect rose with all these beautiful petals. And sometimes things happen. It could be divorce. It could be abuse. It could be anything of the sort. And it's like little petals are just falling off those roses. You know, whenever you go and God gives you the person that you're supposed to meet, do you think that person wants just like tattered and torn? You know, Rose, no, they want something whole, you know? A marriage is not necessarily 100%, it's 200%. Yeah. You have 100, and then you have the other 100. Yeah. And if you're 75, your marriages can't be all that God has planned for it to be. If I would have met, if Trey and I would have married then, our marriage would have been horrendous. I didn't trust. I didn't love. I, I, I had all kinds of issues that I dealt with that were inside of me that needed to be fixed, that needed to be healed. Because you can't go into another relationship carrying old baggage, you know. When God heals you and restores you, you know, you will know. And my prayer was always, whenever I was single, which was four years, Trey likes to continually remind me. But um, my prayer was always, God, make me like Adam, you know. Put me to sleep. Work on me. Put me to sleep, you know, so I'm not looking for this person, looking for that person, looking at this, and being distracted, and in the meantime, hurting myself more and damaging myself more. But put me in a spiritual sleep so that all you do is just working on me, restoring me. Like, when I'm done, I don't want for anyone, I don't want to have a sniff of smoke. I don't want people to say, oh, she looks like somebody who's been through this. I want for people to be shocked by that. I want people to say, wow, really? Because God has done just that much of a work in me. And whenever you're done with me, open my eyes to the person that God has, that you have for me. Because I think in between time, we can go and date this person, date this person, date this person. And what are you doing? You're really just pulling more off that rose. You're just pulling more off that. Wait and save your heart. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 4, 23, keep your heart with all diligence. You know, protect that heart. Protect your heart because your heart is so vital. It controls everything that comes out of here. It controls everything that happens in here. Protect your heart with all diligence. I pray that for you guys as well. You know, put, ask God, you know, put me to sleep. Put me to sleep like you did, Adam. And whenever you are ready, whenever that person that you have for me is ready, open my eyes to it. And that's exactly what God did in my life. And it took every day of the four years, as Trey will say over and over. But he said, years when he first met, when he first met, and it's like, oh, this isn't the right time. He said, you know, I'll wait for you however long it takes. And then four years later, he was still waiting when God finally opened my eyes. But, you know, God will do that for each and every one of us. In the meantime, you know, I want to talk about some things that I learned in that sleep process. One, in Genesis 1, chapter 21, verse 27, says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. When God created each one of us, he looked down and he said, like, this is good. Now, if God said this is good, then it's good. We have to see ourselves the way that God sees us. We have to see and look into a mirror every day when you're waking up and say, man, you know, God has created something great in me. I might not see it, but we have to see through God's lenses to know that God has chosen us. He's predestined us. We are each royalty. We've got to walk with that royalty. You know, you teach people how to treat you. If you don't like yourself, if you don't want to be around you, why would anybody else want to be around you, you know? You have to think that way. You don't like yourself, and you, I mean, you're selling a product you don't really believe in, you know? It's like a car salesman that's selling you a car, and, well, I think it might work. I'm not really sure, but you can try it. You have to know inside of your heart, like, who I am in Christ, not just by yourself, because it's not a cocky thing or arrogant. It's in Christ that I am who I am. God's made me whole. You have to see that. Because when you do, when you see who you are, who you are in Christ, you know, then when you find that person, you will be confident. You won't go in there, you know, jealous or have all these insecurity issues and stuff, which is detrimental to marriage. She'll say, you know, I am the help me. You know, I am the husband. I'm going in there to in this marriage to give um, 100%. Um, number two, refuse to be bitter. Refuse to be bitter about anything that might have happened in your past. Regardless of what it is, refuse to be bitter. Don't allow yourself to hold on that bitterness, especially us women. Oh, my goodness. God created us to be so open. God created us to love, to be nurturing. And a lot of things that can happen, like those rose petals falling off, can leave so much damage inside of our hearts. 
I can leave so much anger. I'm bitter. You know what? You have to say it. And what I said to the devil afterwards, I was like, you know what? I am not going to be bitter about what happened before. It was a horrible situation, but I'm not going to do that. Because every time you're being bitter, every time you're holding on to that, you are taken away from what God originally created for you to be. And that's still letting Satan win. You have to say, you know what, I'm going to take back everything that the enemy stole from me. Even though it was that trust, even if it was, you know, that extra love that I wanted to give somebody and they hurt me, I'm not going to let Satan take any of that from me. I'm going to be everything that God has made me to be. Yeah. Not only for myself, but for myself. Yeah. And the other um, the other thing is refuse discouragement. And in um, the book of Ruth, we'll read about Ruth and Naomi, and I find Naomi to be like an amazing woman. Because she lost her husband, and then years later she lost both of her sons. And she said, I'm going to change my name. Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, which meant bitterness. You know, she's just embracing this. And then she had another daughter-in-law that refused to leave her. She lost her husband, too. But they both clinged on and went on to another place. And then she met Boaz, which is her kinsman redeemer. I mean, what if she would have sat there in that bitterness and like, I lost my husband. This is terrible. She never would have gotten more that God had for her. But we have to refuse discouragement. We have to refuse bitterness. We have to say, God, restore me, heal me, make me everything that I need to be. For your glory and for my husband or my future wife, that so that you know we can be all that God's created us to be. Awesome. 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 Any, Any questions? questions? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. Good, good stuff. You can give her a round of applause. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and that's why tonight, like what Megan said tonight, is. We want to talk really now about, she celebrated your singleness and talked about just things that you need to make sure really within you that you're dealing with and heart issues really, you know, not being bitterness and just kind of, and having all these kind of things. And I want to talk a little bit about are you waiting or are you preparing? There's a big difference. You just say, I'm just waiting for something, but you need to be hoping, are you just hoping rather or are you really preparing? So are we waiting or are we preparing? Are we hoping or are we preparing? Because here's the question most of us want to ask in our lives and that is this who can I find that will make me happy? Mm -hmm. Who is it that's going to make me truly happy in life? But here's the question I think every one of you needs to ask it's not who can I find to make me happy but this is the question what person do I need to become so I will be ready for a healthy, fulfilling marriage and I will bless my spouse to be? Big difference, huh? What is the person that I need to become so I can be ready, so I can be prepared, so I can be in tune with what God has for my life? Because if I was to ask every one of you right now, perhaps you could just go out there and help me out here a little bit. If you were looking for someone and in someone, something, and qualities and characteristics. What's some of the characteristics that you want in someone? Anyone shout out anything? I love Jesus. Love Jesus. Good. I like it. I like it. I like it. Anyone else? Hard worker. A hard worker. Good. Honest. Honest. Good. Integrity. Integrity. Good. Not married. Not married. <laughs> Fantastic. Anyone else? The kind of person that most of you would be looking for, to be honest, would would be probably the same kind of person. For most of you, if not all of us, it's the kind of person we want is someone who listens to us. Okay, shows interest in us for that. Someone who's kind. Don't want anyone who's ugly or unkind, do you? Someone who won't hold a grudge. Pretty important, huh? Someone you can get along with and then one day get alone with. Ah, wink, wink, you know what I'm talking about? But here's another quality that I think everyone would want, and that is this. Someone who won't spend all our money and put us in debt. Someone who's a good steward with their money. Okay? But so, so do you think you can be that kind of person for someone else? Do you think you're kind? Do you think you can be someone who listens? Are you someone that doesn't hold a grudge? Are you someone that people can get along, along with? Are you someone who won't spend all your money but maintains good spending habits and everything because here's the deal we want that from someone else but are we willing to let God do that work inside of us because if not 
our lives are going to grow in a different direction and you're going to attract who you are hello you are going to attract who you are so I want to look at seven habits say with me seven habits seven habits seven habits that you need to implement into your life and if you've got any questions through this put your hand up and we'll try and answer them okay so seven habits that's going to give you the right preparation for your life number one are you ready number one I will deal with my past yes I will deal with my past too many people carry baggage from their families and from other previous relationships into the new one. Too many people have got too much junk in their trunk. Come on now. <laughs> too much junk in the trunk. And no matter how you've been hurt, you've got to realize this. God is your healer. Yes. God can heal you. Megan talked about that, how, how she had the hurt in her life. And like with Adam, that God put him to sleep till he had that person till that preparation, that work was done. And we've got to realize that this is not wasted time. This is time of healing. When I went through a divorce, I don't know what there is about the four years, but I was single for four years after my divorce. And it was, I needed that time. And it wasn't that I went through a bad divorce. It wasn't like life was really tough for me. It wasn't easy. Divorce never is. It's miserable. Um, I I say this to anyone. It's the most miserable thing I've ever been through in my life. But it was a good divorce, if you can almost say that. But yet it still took time for me to have that healing because I didn't want to take my hurts and my pains into my future. And it's a time, I think one of the greatest healers is time, isn't it? Time is one of the greatest healers. But I'll tell you what else is a great healer, and that is this, surrounding yourself with the right people. Yeah. The right input, the right environment, because anything that's going to grow has to be in the proper environment. Well, I bought Kelly some roses for Valentine's Day. Dad bought Mum some roses from Valentine's Day. Dad took the roses for Mum upstairs. They're staying in the room above our garage, and it doesn't have much sunlight. There's a blinds on the windows, so it was dark. M- Kelly's roses are blooming and beautiful. Mum's roses are all wilted and, and, and fallen. And she had to throw them out yesterday, and Kelly's are just still. Why? Because they were in the wrong environment. They weren't in the sunlight. Same roses but just different environment causing the different effects with this. And, and the reality is this, you've got to deal with the pains of your past. You've got to deal with it, because listen, if you don't deal with it now, you're going to end up inflicting the spouse of your dreams with your unfinished business. Well, this is the, the man or the woman of my dreams. You're going to take that hurt and you're going to inflict them and it's going to cause a problem. What did Megan say? If the rose is not full, then we're coming into a relationship and we're going to have struggles and we're going to have issues. So the first thing you've got to start doing is identifying the baggage that you have. (coughs) Start identifying what you are carrying. What is it that I'm carrying? Why am I bitter? Why am I hurt? And you've got to get it dealt with. Now, we've got great people at the church that will meet with you and talk with you and pray with you. But I'm telling you, the best thing you can do after you expose those things is completely surrender it and give it over to God. Because he's the wonderful counselor. He's the great healer. And the big mistake that so often we fall into, and I'm sure every one of us have been there, if you've been in a hurt, the biggest mistake we try to find is we try to fall into the arms of someone else as our healer. Mm-hmm. We try to throw ourselves in and find healing in the arms of someone else. And it can work. But most of the time, all it's going to do is cause you to skip over the hurt and never deal with it. And if you don't deal with it, it's going to come back. It's going to come back. You've got to face the facts. Here's a good statement for you. You've got to face the facts so you can live in the truth. Think about that. It's hard to face the facts. But you've got to deal with this so you can move on. Habit number two. You ready? I will grow with good people. It's very important. All of these are very important. But I think it's so important, as I said a moment ago, to surround yourself with the right people. Because many people run headlong into a marriage without ever experiencing or having sustained any significant, long-term, healthy, God-centered relationships. They just run into a marriage without developing relationships that can help you in your marriage, in your future. Your single years are an irreplaceable opportunity for you to prepare yourself relationally 
for a fulfilling and an enduring marriage. Did you know that? These are irreplaceable opportunities that you have. So let me give you four filters that I think is going to really help you with this. When it comes to people, relationships with other people, here's four filters. Are you ready? Number one, what relationships do I need to initiate? It's a great place to look. What, who do I maybe need to include into my life that can mentor me, that can be strength to my life, that can give me the kind of input that I want in my life? Because, man, you can find plenty of input out there, but it's not always going to help you. Mm-hmm. Girl, you just need to go out there. He's good looking and he's this good. Well, I need people, I need to initiate relationships that are going to help me and build me in my life. I need accountability in my life. So, who perhaps is missing from your circle of support? Begin to identify that. Filter number two, are you ready? What relationships do you have that needs to be nurtured? Okay? Have you got important relationships that's drifted? Maybe you're neglecting someone significant in your life. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe a good friend. You're just getting so caught. What relationships need to be nurtured in your life? Filter number three. What relationships need to be restored? In that book, Love, Sex and Happily Ever After, one of the great chapters they talk about there is identifying red flags. And if someone doesn't have any relationship with their families and other people, it's not always a bad thing, but a lot of times it can be a major issue. Why they don't have sustained good relationships with family or close friends or just different things. So we can look and ask ourselves... What relationships are broken in my life? Maybe with my parents. Maybe with my friends. Maybe with someone who's offended me. And now I hold a grudge. The Bible tells us in Romans 12 verse 18, as much as is possible with you, live at peace with everyone else. What's possible for you to do is live at peace. So filter number four is this. What relationships are there in my life that need to be severed? What relationships are there? Is there a relationship that's hurting your connection with God? If it is, you've got to sever the ties. Is there a relationship in your life that's leading you into danger, draining you? You know, we could be around people, and if they're completely draining us, we're going to be empty. Remember John Norman talked about when you get in that low 10%, you start making the wrong decisions and the choices for your life. You've got to watch. If they're draining every bit of life from you, you've got to sever some of these relationships. Maybe there's someone wrong that you're dating and you know they're not right for you. You've got to sever that relationship. Why? Because I'm going to grow with good people. It's a habit that I'm going to give to my life. Habit number three. I'm going to learn to be a listener. I'm going to learn to listen. You know one of the most talked about and the least practiced habits of love is the art of listening. It's the most talked about but the least practiced Listening well invites love and makes it grow. Listening poorly, or not at all, kills love and it kills it slowly. And it will drain love away. And there's a difference between hearing someone and listening. Anyone know the difference between that? A big difference, okay? When it's many times here it is that when someone's talking to you, you're almost just like thinking of something to say and you're not really listening to what they're saying. You're already coming up with the answer and you don't really care what they're saying to you. So you've got to do. So I want to give you three keys. We're giving you a lot of information tonight, but let me give you three keys that are really going to help you with listening, okay? And this is something that I have to work on a lot because sometimes your mind, my mind never shuts down. I'm busy, I'm planning, I'm doing all this and people can come and your mind's here and everywhere and I've really had to focus on this. The first thing to do is this, the key is this, stop everything. Try to stop everything. Come on, what was the old ro- stop, drop and roll? <laughs> We've got to stop everything. When someone's speaking to you, try and stop everything else you're doing and focus on them. Put the focus in them. Because the goal isn't just for you to comprehend their words, but the goal is for you to hear their heart. Mm -hmm. So try to stop any distractions, eliminations, and anything. Turn the TV off. Just any distraction. Turn your cell phone on to quiet or mute or turn it off. Try to eliminate so you can focus on them, okay? Here's another great thing. Point number two is this. Don't listen with just your ears. Don't listen with just your ears. Use your eyes. Use facial expressions. Use 
body language that when they're talking, you're nodding your head. You're, you're wow. You're, you're getting into it because that fuels them and motivates them to continue to pour out their hearts and to connect and communicate with you, okay? Here's another one. Repeat back to them. Yeah. Great way of doing it. Repeat back to them because it adds affirmation to the fact that you value what they're being said. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's cool. So you went to the store and they said that. That's unbelievable. And I know it sounds so simple, but yet it's so life-changing. We're shifting from a hearer to a listener, and we're developing that habit in our life, okay? Habit number four is this. I will guard my heart. No one else is going to do that for you. Did you know that? No one else is going to take care of your heart, only you. We can say, oh, God's taking care of my heart. God will only take care of that which we give him. So really, if we're giving him our heart, then we're responsible for him taking care of our heart because we've given it to him. No one else is... People are going to say, oh, I've got your best interest at heart. No, they don't. They just want to use you for their best interest. So you've got to guard your heart. You've got to get your heart ready and shaped. If you ever gone to the gym and worked out, you're getting yourself in shape. You've got to do the same thing with your heart. You know what you've got to work out in your heart? Here's what you've got to work in your heart. Two things, okay? You've got to develop thick skin and you've got to develop a soft heart. Thick skin and a soft heart. It's like an M&M candy. Anyone ever eaten any M&M's? Come on, it's got a thick skin, it's got a crunchy skin, but when you bite into that, it's soft. How many would hate the inside to be harder than the outside? That would be a chocolate jawbreaker. It wouldn't be good. It wouldn't be good. That's how your heart has got to look. It's got to look like an M&M candy. Meaning what? It's got a hard exterior, a thick skin, but yet it's soft on the inside. So how do we develop a thick skin? We've got to stop allowing the small things to bother us. We've got to stop allowing being so petty. We've got to ask God just to thicken our skin so we're not so easily offended. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but there's probably a lot in here that would say, you know what, I'm pretty easily offended by people. Offense is not something I choose to do in my life. And people say, you're not offended. Very rarely will I ever get offended with people because offense is my choice. And I have chosen not to do it. But thick skin, why thick skin? Because thick skin helps you avoid the temptation of personalizing and internalizing other people's actions. It's so easy, isn't it, to personalize everything. I can't believe they said that about me. That you personalize and internalize every other action of people. You've got to have thick skin, or almost like the water off the duck's back, that it just runs off. Not meaning that you're superhuman, but you've just got to say, I'm not going to be easily offended. God, help me to have this, that I don't allow these little things to bother me anymore. But yet we've got to have the balance, because we don't want to get so hard that we've got no feelings, that we don't care, that we've got a bad attitude against everyone. So we've got to have that balance, okay? So that brings us to the next part, that we're going to still allow our heart under that skin to be soft. So what do we have to ask God to give us? Compassion for people. Huh? We've got to have compassion in our life. We've got to begin to develop the ability to see things from other people's perspective and not just ours. We've got to begin to feel for them and feel with them. It could be said this, have empathy for people. We've got to learn to have that. Because if we're no compassion and we're no, our heart is just going to be destroyed and it's going to break. And ask God to give you a heart for other people. I pray that a lot. God, give me a heart for other people. And I, and I can honestly say this. God has given me a heart for other people and I want a greater heart. And I've walked into places before and I've sat there and wept as I've seen all the people who were lost. And I knew that we're going to a lost eternity. But God has given me a heart for people. But with all these kind of things, with a soft heart, you've got to ask God just to really teach you how to have intimacy in your life. That it's okay to have that and, and, and be ready and prepared for that because that's going to be a valuable part of your marriage is that intimacy. So you've got to have a thick skin, yes, but the inside's got to be soft. And to keep it in the right balance, you've got to learn true forgiveness. Too. You've got to learn forgiveness. Megan talked about that. That how you've got to let go of those things because if you don't, you're going to harbor resentment. 
you're going to harbour a grudge, you're going to get bitter, you've got to let those things go. Yeah, have a tough skin, it's got to be soft in the inside, but that comes through allowing forgiveness to flow out from you. But here's a question that most of you would probably ask when it comes to forgiveness. But how do I forgive someone for a massive betrayal? How do I really forgive someone for the kind that cuts so deep and leaves the most lasting scars? Can I tell you how? Let me give you a scripture. Colossians 3.13 says this. It says, Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must do. Let me say that one more time. Bearing with one another. So that's almost painting a picture that you've got to bear with someone. It's not an easy thing. It's a tough thing. Bearing with each other. And what? Forgiving one another. Because if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must do. You must forgive them. As, as impossible as it may seem right now to forgive that person, we are called by God to forgive them as Christ forgave us. And what may help you is to see it like this way. Take that offence that they've done against you and put that and line that up. And then line up all your offences and everything that you've done against God mm-hmm. in your life. Begin to look at that list of things. Maybe almost unable to number all those offences that we've had. And if we look at all that and that one thing, but yet God chooses to love us and forgive us through all of those, guess what? That same God that chooses to love and forgive us can give us the strength and the grace and the mercy to forgive others of that one thing. Oh, but Pastor Philip, it's a massive thing. Look at it against your list. And it's nothing in comparison. So if God can forgive you, God can also teach you and help you to begin to forgive everyone else. And forgiveness starts with a heart change. You've got to let God soften your heart. You've got to let Him give you that thick skin so you're not going to see so you can be resilient through these times and through these trials. Is that cool? Yeah. Number five. I will practice facing and resolving conflict. Marriage, and you may be shocked to realize this, I will practice facing and resolving conflict. Some of you may be shocked to know, but marriage is not two people who never fight or disagree. Did you know that? Marriage is not perfect. Two perfect people living together. But you know what marriage is? Marriage is two people learning to face and work through their problems together. In other words, marriage is learning how to fight fair. Huh? To fight fair. So how can I learn to resolve conflict? The first way you can resolve conflict is this, by not avoiding it. That's what we want to do, isn't it? So if we've got a problem, if I've got a problem with Megan, the easiest thing to do in the world is just to avoid it, and then there's no problem. But the reality is the problem's never been solved. The problem's still there, and it's festering, and it's growing, and every opportunity that we're not making it right is another opportunity for more to be placed in between, driving us further apart, causing a bigger rift, and how do you make a mountain out of a molehill? You just keep piling on the dirt. Keep piling on the dirt. And there's nothing more Satan wants to do if we've got a problem, to keep piling on the dirt, to keep my thoughts going, how dare she said that, I can't believe she did that. So what do we got to do? We've got to face these things. It's never easy. Anyone like facing conflict? Anyone like to go to like your best friend and have to tell them that what they're doing is wrong and they need to change? Anyone like that? No one likes that. If you do like that, then let me know, because I'd love to employ you, because you can handle all my conflicts for me, and you can do all that. But you know what you've got to hate more than the initial conflict? You've got to hate more of the results that if you don't handle it and deal with it. And that's where you've got to be with that. So you've got to learn to resolve conflict, and the first thing to do is you can't avoid it. As I said, none of us like arguments and disagreements, and, and, and they're a challenge to us. Yet in life, conflict is unavoidable. Did you know that? Conflict is unavoidable in life. So you're going to keep running, you're going to keep running. What a great opportunity now to learn to resolve those conflicts, to learn to handle those things. Let me give you some help on these. Are you ready? I'm going to give you four helps on how to resolve conflict. Number one, don't yell, scream, and throw stuff. <laughs> huh? 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 Don't yell, scream, 
and throw stuff. Here's a determination that every one of you need to have. Are you ready? I'm never going to fight angry. Mm-hmm. That's tough. That's tough. It is tough. Mm-hmm. I'm never going to fight angry. Learn to walk away. If you know you're going to blow up, learn to walk away. Learn to cool down. Learn to sort things out. Why? Because you've got to choose your words carefully because you can never bring back what you said. So try never to respond in anger, but always respond in love. Or at least calmness. If not love, then at least be calm. Okay? So don't scream and throw stuff, okay? Number two, never go to bed angry. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, 26-27, it says this paraphrase, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And it also says, nor give opportunity for the devil. That word opportunity could almost be defined or translated real estate. We give the enemy a foothold. It's like we give him a house. We give him a dwelling place where he can come when we allow our anger. And I'm telling you, this scripture isn't just for married people. It's for you with your friendships and people around. Don't go to bed angry. Resolve those things. Because if you go to bed with that problem, you're going to wake up and that problem's going to multiply itself overnight. Multiplies. I don't know how it happens, but it does. And it works. Number three, you ready? Never get historical. Mm-hmm. Historical, not hysterical. Historical. Historical. What do I mean by that? Try never to bring up the past. We're all good at doing that, aren't we? Resolving conflict. Well, remember the last time that you did this? Can we change the past? No. No, we can't. But the, cha- the past can really affect our future. We've got to let our past be in the past so we can begin to live in the present, in the future. The surest way to damage your future is to dig up ancient ammo. Mm -hmm. The biggest way to damage your future is to dig up ancient ammo. Leave the old hurts buried, please. And number four, I love this one. You ready? Never say never and always. (laughs) You never do that. You always say that. Do you notice the extreme words that we go into when we're trying to get mad and the conflict come? You never! Well, it's a lie because maybe they seldom do but never and seldom are two completely different things. So avoid the extreme words listen to this, unless you want the extreme fights. Mm -hmm. So avoid extreme words so you can avoid extreme fights. Is this good? Yes. Good stuff. Habit number six. Are you ready? I will be financially responsible. Now, starting right now, when my finances are screwed up and messed up, starting right now, you can start taking responsibility for that. You can start doing things. Listen to this. One of the most common reasons for conflict in marriage and divorce is money problems. One of the number one problems in a marriage that causes divorce or if it doesn't cause divorce, it causes a lot of unrest and unhappiness. Is money problems. But what we don't hear is how easy it is to trace those money problems to irresponsibility, laziness, and just plain ignorance about money management in our single years. Let me say that one more time. What we don't hear is how easy it is to trace those money problems to our irresponsibility, our laziness, our just plain ignorance about money management in our single years. Do we really think, after years of being careless about our personal finances, that when we get married, we're suddenly going to wake up and we're going to be responsible when now there's two people that we're going to have to deal with. It doesn't ma- happen like that. Marriage is not a magic wand. Mm-hmm. talked about that, I think, last week. A magic wand that you just wave and everything is solved. It's a magnifying glass. It magnifies the problems. So you've got to get your finances in order right now. You've got to wisely manage God's resources and that's one of the most important habits I believe that you can prepare and learn for your marriage. And we're doing everything that we can do to help you that with that because debt is a bondage. Debt is a bondage. The Bible speaks about that in Proverbs. I can't remember the exact verse but it talks about it being a bondage. Uh, I don't want to be in bondage to anything. Because if I'm in bondage to something that means I'm a servant to that. Because it rules over me. It controls my life. 
If you don't think it controls your life, how many of you are afraid to answer your phone if you don't know who it is because it may be a debt collector calling? <laughs> That's a bondage. That you're afraid to answer your phone because of that bondage of the debt that's in your life. And I'm telling you right now, here we go again, but it's the truth, and you're going to hear it while you're here. The key to financial stewardship starts with you tithing to God. Yes. Starts with you giving your first fruits to God and saying, God, it's not mine anyway. I'm giving and bringing back to you what is already yours. And I'm telling you, 90% blessed goes a whole lot further than 100% unblessed. Don't wait. One day I'll get my finances. I'm going to marry someone rich. What if you don't marry someone rich? Huh? But the deal is this, if you marry someone rich and you've got no spending habits right now, you, it doesn't matter how much money they're going to have. It's not going to take long before you run through that because the more you have, the more you'll spend. Mm-hmm. You've got to discipline your life. You've got to say, I'm going to be responsible. I'm going to have financial responsibility in my life. And I'm going to start to do things. And I'm going to start to do all these things. And I just want you to know that we're here to help you. Mr. Dan personally counsels people when it comes to finance. I'm really excited in um, the month of March, next month, on a Wednesday night, we're going to be talking on three weeks about worry-free finance and giving you keys and just to help you as a workshop kind of thing to really help you do with your finances and just help you to develop those. But listen, right now you need to develop a lifestyle of stewardship and generosity that will carry God's blessing into your future marriage. Wouldn't it be great to go into your future marriage with a savings account instead of tons of student loans and tons of debts and tons of credit cards? Because think about if the person you're marrying has got the same amount of debt as you. That's a whole lot of debt that you're bringing in together. Mm -hmm. Got to think of that. Take financial responsibility right now for your life. And last but not least, are you ready? Number seven. I will invest in my relationship with God. My relationship with God. In fact, read the scripture when you get home. 1 Corinthians 7, 32 and 34. 1 Corinthians 7, 32 and 34. Paul talks about the fact of, hey, you're never going to have it easier than you are now because when you have a husband and wife, you're going to have to take care of their needs. You're going to have to be responsible for them. And then you're still going to have to find time for God. And he talks about the importance of using this time of your singleness to value that relationship and to build that relationship, making God your priority, making him your priority in your life. Because the time you have while unmarried is a gift. It's a gift that God has given you. You don't have other responsibilities of someone else. I know people have kids and I know there's responsibilities. But you know what? You can devote your attention. If you want to go home tonight and you want to spend three hours in the Bible and pray, you don't have to answer to your husband while you're not coming to bed because you're in the Word and you see, or to your wife. You've got that opportunity. It's a gift that you have. What are you doing with that gift? Use that gift wisely. Because the key to building a relationship with God, what is the reason? Why do we build a relationship with God? Because this is why the more you are like Jesus, the better your future marriage will be. Come on. The more you are like Jesus, the better your future marriage will be. What was Jesus? Jesus was humble. Jesus was obedient. He was submitted. He was self-sacrificing servant. He lived with integrity. He boldly defended the truth and people under his care. If you're growing in all those qualities, you're well on your way to giving God's best to someone else. Mm -hmm. Why do I need to develop a relationship with God so I can give God's best to someone else? Seek God creatively. You know why we don't have a relationship with God? Because prayer is boring. Be creative with your prayer. If you fall asleep when you're praying, then go out and walk around a lake and pray outside. Create space for God. Use your time wisely. One of my best times of the day is in my car when I'm driving to work. I've got 30, 40 minutes. I'm listening to a message. I'm praying. I've got praise and worship on. I'm filling myself with an environment that's going to help me working on that relationship. Going home tonight. So I'll tell you what I'm doing in my car on the way home tonight. I'm listening to a message from someone. I'm filling myself Why? Because I'm using that time wisely. Enjoy those moments. Value the time. If you say, oh man, I've got to go and pray. You're never going to enjoy that. Say, thank God it's a gift and an opportunity I have. God, I just want to thank you for that. 
and just embrace that time and thank God for that time. So let me close with this and then we can ask if there's any questions that you have. But listen to this. It's what, ins- it's what is inside the couple that makes or breaks a marriage. It's what's inside a couple. So how do I do that? I've got to start right now with my life. It's what's inside me. It's what's inside my life. It's what's inside who I am right now. So what habits am I preparing for my life? What habits am I putting in place right now? Oh, one day when I'm... No, no, no. One day my prince is going to come. Yeah, he is. But they want to see those habits. You know how you can really make yourself so attractive to people around? By having these seven habits going on in your life. Someone seeing you're financially responsible. Someone seeing that you know how to resolve conflict. Someone seeing that you're confident about yourself. You love God. All these things. My God, you're making yourself more attractive by the minute. Come on. You're, making, you're going to dethrone Josh from the most eligible bachelor <laughs> or bachelorette. Whichever one you fall on. So there you go. But listen to this. As God is preparing someone else for you. Do you believe that? Yes. God is preparing someone else for you. He wants to prepare you for that other person. So ask God to help you because your future spouse... Oh, let me say it this way. Ask God to help you to become your future spouse's right person. Let me say that again because I really killed that. As God is preparing someone else for you, He wants to prepare you for that other person. So ask God to help you to become your future spouse's right person. And when you are, you will be the answer to someone else's prayer. Well, God, I'm praying for someone else. But you know what? Someone else is praying for you. You can be the answer to someone else's prayer. And I love that. I want to be the answer to someone else's prayer. I want you to be the answer to someone else's prayer. Anyone got any questions or anything you didn't catch that I could just give back to you? I know it's a lot of information. Is there any questions that you've got that you want to throw out, Dustin? I think this is a seasonal thing, but uh, earlier in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says, To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it's good for them to remain single as I am. Um, I mean, what do you say? I mean, he's talking about a season of just living holy for God. Well, the deal is this. If that's what you feel God has called you to do, then what he's saying is, if you would research that and study that, Paul is not against marriage because he talks a lot about marriage. But what he's saying is, it's better if you can find satisfaction on your own and be happy to be satisfied with that because you've got God and he's your everything. But if you cannot find that, he's saying... It just in yourself and alone with God then you can get married but then he's also saying lately saying but you've got to realize this is going to happen and this is going to happen yeah. and it's not just as easy as you think it is right. so Paul is not in any means saying you shouldn't get married right. but he's saying this is what I've chosen to do and this is who I've chosen to be and because of that you know I don't have the constraints I don't have to worry about this and worry about that and so he's just really showing us in our lives that we've just got to prioritize our time and make sure that we're making the right decisions and choices for our life when it comes to that. Because he also says it's better to marry than burn with lust. Yeah, to burn with passion, yeah. To burn with passion and stuff. So that's good. I have a question. Yes. What about monks and nuns then? Monks and nuns, that's a choice that they've made. They've chose to be celibate as a sacrifice, as a pleasing sacrifice to God. So that's something that they've chosen to do. And in their own hearts, they, they feel that's their calling and that's what they're called to do. So if that's what they want to do, that's great. But none of that for me. No <laughs> kind of <thing. laughs> huh? It's kind of like eunuchs as well. And some of these people, like some of your nuns and some of your monks, even with some of them, probably a lot more today than what there ever has been before. A lot of them are doing that today because of hurts from relationships and they just don't want to be hurt too. And they're protecting themselves in that comfort and in that place. Any other questions? Anything else? So wait, can you grow with God if you're using that as an excuse of comfort? So I'm going to go be a nun because you hurt me, ma'am, and I don't want to 
I think you can still grow. I mean, you can still grow, but it's almost like the same thing with tithing. I mean, like, you're not going to go to hell if you don't tithe, but I mean, just think how much better your life will be if you're doing it. You know, it's like, if if you're holding that hurt, it's like, you know, they say, whenever you're walling people off, you're also walling yourself in. It's like, so it's not like, you know, you're not going to make it or something, you know, but think if you do let go of that, how much, you know, let go of that unforgiveness and you really do live 100% for God, how much more can he bless your life? But a lot of those people are in such an environment, the whole environment they are in, is such a Christ-centered environment that they're dealing with those things and the hurts, they're surrendering to God, they don't have that unforgiveness in their hearts and they're they're finding such complete satisfaction in God in their relationship. So it's not that they're running and hiding and they're locking themselves in a room and they're not dealing with those things. Those things are being dealt with every day. And in their prayer life, and just everything that's just that would be part of their discipline and part of their order to be a part of that. Does that make sense? Anything else? Any other questions? Anything else? Let me just pray with you, okay? Just pray, just put your hand over your heart, like what we've been doing for this. Because remember what we said today I will guard my heart, no one else is going to do it for you. You've got to protect your heart. And you've got to realize that not only will no one else do it for you, but you've got to realize there's a lot of people out there that want to destroy your heart, take your heart. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I just pray for everyone in this place. Bless you. Lord, I just pray, God, that you would just undertake. God, I pray just the words that Megan has shared tonight. God, the, the words that I've shared tonight. God, I pray that there would be life to everyone in this place, that they would bring hope. That, God, this time is a gift. God, it's not a chore. It's not something that we need to endure. But God, it's something that we truly can endure, enjoy. And God, I pray that you would help us to have the right attitude and and look at it for what it is. God, it's a time of healing. It's a time of preparation. It's a time of building. It's a time of restoration. It's a time of planning. That we can instill all the proper habits that we need. That we can see such great success and blessing in our life. Help us, God, in everything we do. And we'll give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We would like to thank you for listening to our message on Together. We pray that what you have just heard will change your life and bring new freedom to your marriage and home. If you need any more information or just someone to listen, we are always here for you. Call us at area code 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us or visit our website at www.hflc.us. Have a blessed day. And remember, when you put God first, everything you do will prosper.